0: Well, good morning, Incarnation. Happy Easter again. Um, As you may remember, before we got to the climax of the Easter season, we'd been going through the Sermon on the Mount together. And we've been hearing challenging messages on things like unforgiveness and anger and lust of the heart, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, how we can't serve both God and money, that um, we're called not to be anxious, but to just live one day at a time, and other really easy things like that. Now this series has been so rich for our community, we've heard many stories of transformation along the way. Um, But since the topics are so heavy and challenging, so focused on washing, not just the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup, right? We've been sensing the need to focus and pause at times to allow for greater application of the word. So after we finished Matthew 5, you may remember I did a live Q&A um, uh, on just what are some things that you're still wrestling with. And uh, as we finished chapter 6 a few weeks ago, we want to do a QA and a this morning. I'll say a little bit more to that in just a moment. The, re- the real reason for doing this is we don't want to just breeze past these deep things in the word, but we want to ask, how does the Lord apply these truths to our lives. These things that are, that are too hard for us to do just by willpower. I'm just going to will myself not to be an angry person. You know, I'm just going to make myself not lust from the heart. Right? These are things where we're asking the Lord to wash the inside of the cup deeply. And sometimes I think in the life of the local church, we ask the preaching to carry too much freight when it comes to transformative discipleship, all right, so let me explain. So, um, anytime a preacher preaches a message, it could be a nuanced message, it could be more of an exhortation, but either way, they're never gonna be able to dot all their I's and cross all their T's when it comes to application, right? And, and one of the uh, 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 dangers of being a preacher is anytime you say anything, you can get in trouble for not saying everything right? And so sometimes, actually mostly not critically, but sometimes after sermons or the week or two following that, people will say, yeah, but what about this situation? Or what about that situation? Or you didn't really address that? And I just want to say that part of the purpose of preaching in the local church is not to just dot every I and cross every T, but it's to stir the pot of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the community. But often, um, the application will come through one another. Okay, so um, the Apostle Paul says that the church is the body of Christ, and the body is made up of many members, and each of the members of the body has been given special gifts for the building up of the body, right? So the building up of the body doesn't fall squarely on, on my shoulders or Pastor John's shoulders or Pastor Fumi's shoulders. The building up of the body falls on every member of the body of Christ, amen? amen. All right, so um, I remember, for example, early on after we uh, had replanted the InterVarsity chapter at Florida State that um, it, it was going pretty well and maybe there was 35 or 40 students, but uh, we were having lots of Bible study and lots of prayer, whatever, But I. I think that we were maybe just like a little bit like overly serious. And I remember the Lord brought this one student into our fellowship that just had so much joy. And I really think she had the gift of encouragement. Um, In fact, sometimes that's translated the gift of exhortation, right? And she just came in and encouraged us in the truth that we've been studying in the word and saying like, "Hey." You know, you can do this, man. Like, I know, I know the Lord has given you the Holy Spirit and you're going to be able to, to walk this out. And she would also exhort us, um, you know, because there's, there's closely related, right? It's like, come on, man. You can, you, you can walk you can walk with Jesus in this. You, you don't, you don't let your guard down, right? You know, so just in many and various ways, the Lord just used this sort of like missing gift, missing member of the body, to sort of fill out what was going on in these early days. So every member is important. Nobody can be missing in their contribute contribution. So this morning, what we're gonna do in just a few minutes is I'm gonna invite up a panel of people to uh, field questions on Matthew chapter five and chapter six when it comes to application, okay? Um, But before I invite the members of the panel up, I want to cast a little bit more vision for this from the book of Hebrews chapter 5. So if you'll grab a pew Bible and turn with me to page 1003, okay? 1003, Hebrews chapter 5. And in verse 11, the author criticizes those who have become dull in hearing When it comes to the truth of God. Going on to say in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words of Holy Scripture. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So before I invite the panel up, I just wanna make two points from this text. One is that Christians, all Christians, should at some point be in a place where they're mature enough to be teachers. Verse 12, that's a basic expectation for the spirit-filled believer living in the new covenant community, that they would at some point mature enough that they would be able to instruct others. The Hebrew prophets anticipated the age of the spirit, when all believers would be equipped in this way to teach one another. This is part of what's meant by the priesthood of all believers, or what we might call the royal priesthood in the words of 1 Peter 2.9, that God gives us his spirit in order that we may edify and instruct one another. Now, in the New Testament, the way that they apply this is not by saying, so that means every member of the church is the pastor. No, or every member of the church is a deacon or a bishop. No, that's not the way that it applies it. But we should all at least eventually be equipped to come alongside one another and know the truth of God well enough to be able to build one another up. Whether it's through the gift of encouragement, through teaching, you're going to still need some kind of understanding and rooting and groundedness in the word. However, the second point from Hebrews 5 is that maturity comes through constant exposure to the scriptures from becoming what he says, skilled in the word of righteousness. Verse 13. In other words, Christian maturity, it's not an automatic thing. It's not a simple matter of, well, how long have you been a believer? Or even a matter of life experience, as important as those things can be. It comes from being constantly sharpened by the word, being in the wash cycle of the word of righteousness. Now, we don't want to be like those believers that he's criticizing here that are stuck in the milk phase of the Christian life. There's a time for that, he's saying. But you should have moved on by now. Having to be constantly retaught the basic principles of the oracles of God. Verse 14 says that solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So there are times... I think we can all say when distinguishing good from evil can be really tricky. But the author of Hebrews wants us to know that there's a way of of sharpening our discernment. There's a way of focusing our lenses to increase the accuracy of our judgments. And that comes through constant practice, wrestling with the word of God. So right now, let's do this. I want to ask you guys to turn to the Sermon on the Mount in your pew Bibles, beginning on page 809. At this point in the series, I just remind you, we've covered Matthew 5 and 6. Matthew chapters 5 and 6. So most of that's on, on 8, 10. And as I said, um, this has included many challenging topics. So I want you to try to kind of um, remember, you know, think back. Wh- what's the topic that, that, that brought up questions about application for you? Maybe it's about humility on being poor in spirit. Maybe it's about unforgiveness, anger, lust divorce, anxiety, much more. So why don't you begin to scan through those chapters um, to remind yourself the themes. And I wanna invite up our panelists. So um, if our panelists would come forward. And I'll just say a quick word of introduction about each of them and and why I asked them. I I could ask many of you. um, Part of the reason why I asked these panelists is because um, I wanted you guys to hear some new voices. We do have some uh, lay uh, lay preachers. Um, we've had uh, preach at our church, um, uh, different Bible study leaders. But I, I wanted you guys to hear from some somewhat new voices. So, um, um, so uh, Tina Lou uh, is uh, um, a student, uh, uh, somebody who recently graduated, excuse me, um, and has uh, recently <laughs> been hired on intervarsity staff, and. Um, Some of her staff workers that used to be my students have really recommended her as someone who is gifted at discipling others, at building others up. And I've gotten to see glimpses of this just in in the short time that I've known Tina and seen the way that she interacts with her peers and the people that she's raising up in the body of Christ. So I'm glad to have Tina here. Uh, And then Christine Rubino, Uh, it's good to have her here. And uh, I I invited her specifically. um, she is a, um, a, a counselor, a professional counselor, and um, just brings um, that uh, counselor lens mixed with somebody who really loves the Word of God. And, uh, and so um, I've actually had some good conversations with her, even in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount series, and just thought she would be a great per- person to have here. And then um, I also invited Kevin Long, who's been a part of the church for a bit longer, um, as just somebody, the Lord has just snatched him out of the fire in his life in so many ways and delivered him from addictions. He's got a really amazing story if, you've ever, uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to Kevin. Uh, and then, of course, Fumi and I, uh, uh, you, you get to hear us talk all the time. So we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Um, so I, what we're going to do is I want to start by, um, uh, I'll ask the first two questions and then I'll open it up for a few questions from you. We're not all five of us going to respond uh, to every question, because then we'll only have time for like two questions. Um, but just, I just told the panel, um, if they feel like they have a specific nugget about how to apply this word, to, to be sure to bring that. So, um, so the first question that I want to bring up, and maybe the, um, one of the most common questions we've got in our, throughout our series on the Sermon on the Mount, is on the topic of forgiveness. So Jesus has some strong words in the Lord's Prayer about this necessity of forgiveness and the spiritual danger of unforgiveness. He says at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 14, and 15, For If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive men when they sin against you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. Um, but the question is, how do we forgive someone who wrongs us deeply? I mean, that's hard enough But especially if they're not repentant about it? And does forgiveness necessarily mean that the relationship has to continue as normal?
1: Taylor, can y'all hear me? I don't know if I turned it on. on Everybody, can y'all hear me? That's
0: That's all right. We'll unmute you in a second, but why don't don't you just go ahead and dive Um, in?
1: So, just as a Form of just sheer gratitude I'm so thankful to be a part of this community and its I really mean it a real humble honor thank you sweetheart um, it's a real humble honor um, this is a, a topic that's really near and dear to my heart um, I have spent my entire life trying to figure this out in my career in particular in walking people through this because I think it is a place of captivity mm-hmm. um, and so, I think to answer the question, if I can answer the second one, and then we'll come back to the first Please. one real quick. So, in terms of um, c- can I be in relationship with someone who is not showing a repentant heart um, and who is not showing kind of a sign of moving towards and owning the harm that they've done? And to that, there's so many places in the scriptures where you have permission to lay their responsibility at their feet. And, you know, I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 5, um, where Paul talks about church discipline and what it looks like to put Alfie, the the unbeliever, um, into somebody who's acting like an unbeliever. And so you have permission to distance yourself and uh, and wait for them to really bear their own responsibility because you cannot have relationship unless the... it's You've got to discern between forgiveness and restoration, mm. and restoration is always on the shoulders of the person who harmed, right? Mm. There's kind of this movement where they've got to own, um, in the form of repentance, responsibility with that. So to that... I, I know that feels really, potentially really nuanced, but, and so then I, I've got this, I've got a friend of mine who names forgiveness as, in a really helpful way, um, in terms of the how, how do you forgive, um, and th- he talks about it, that it's a process, it's a process of grief, and so if you think about um, the brilliant woman, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who thought about grief in the, in the five terms of denial, bargaining, pain, anger, and acceptance, and that if all of those movements are not involved with regards to forgiveness, then th- then you're kind of skipping some steps and maybe potentially offering some cheap forgiveness. Mm. And I think the Lord really deeply wants this deep tilling of the ground uh, and not for you just to say, you know, somebody says they're sorry and be like, it's okay, don't worry about it. And it's a really deep wound. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when, when I'm talking with people, that, you know, if, as you think about those five steps, that denial, so the path of the denial is a path of honesty, and it's this reality in the scriptures, you cannot heal what you do not name, mm. and if mm. you don't name the harm with tremendous honesty, that this hurt me this way, it hurt me in this capacity, and I'm not even necessarily talking about to the person who wounded you, I'm talking about, you know, in your story, and have you really kind of faced those really hard places so path out of denial is a path of honesty the path out of bargaining is a path of understanding whose responsibility was it Mm -hmm. and that can get really dicey with with particularly with Christians because we tend to take on more responsibility than we should then the path out of pain is a path of just kind of allowing sorrow to come forth because if you were deeply wounded I think the Lord weeps with you Mm -hmm. and it's okay to have tears over it and to groan You know, and the path out of anger is allowing yourself the space to feel the injustice and to want to have a sense of pushing against it. And then the path, um, you know, into a place of acceptance, you're kind of in that space after you've kind of moved into those places. Just one quick word, those are not linear. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times I move from like denial to pain and then I go back to denial, and then I go to bargaining, and then I go to anger, and then I go back to denial. So it's not linear um, just to give yourself permission for the movement.
2: There's, there's also a sense um, in which, just as uh, Christina stated, and she said restoration. I will also use a similar but different word, that uh, you can forgive uh, without repentance, but you can't be reconciled. Without repentance mm. Does that make sense Amen. so there's a call to forgive right just as we see in scripture that even while we're still sinners Christ died for us right that even before you repentant and said hey I'm a sinner mm. oh dear God have mercy on me the cross already happened yeah right Amen. that if you ever want to know when you were forgiven or when you became a Christian go back to 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. and th- this is hard for a Baptist uh, to say, you know, because you got to walk down the aisle and there's a date that you make that decision and all that. Well, the date of your decision was 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from the tomb. So there's that sense in which repentance is not requisite for forgiveness. However, for there to be reconciliation, for there to be relationship, repentance is requisite for that, right? Because it will be fake. It would be... Um, a, a farce, almost even. If everybody just pretends like this big thing's between you and y'all, just pretend. Oh, we we forgave each other. Mm-hmm. You never talked about it. You never named the the harm or the evil. There was no opportunity for um uh, um what's the word I'm looking for for not even just reconciled like. Where the harm itself was was healed, um, reparation, right? For the evil that occurred, right? There, there was nothing there, and we all just carry along. Uh, that's kind of that's y'all aligned to each other. That, that, that's fake, right? Um, so there needs to be actual repentance for there to be relationship or reconciliation. But also understand that, the Holy Spirit is who gives you power for forgiveness because forgiveness. Let's be honest with ourselves: is not a human effort. We, especially when there's deep wounds and deep hurts that happen, when there's abuse, um, when when uh, um, there there is sort of unrepentant or cyclical um, evil and hurt that is that that has been visited against you. That's hard to do, y'all. It's not something you do in your own power. That requires the Holy Spirit's help, right? And so really throwing, and at times, it doesn't come immediately. It's not like imagining, okay, I've prayed about it, I've forgiven them. Forgiveness can be a process, right? Forgiveness can take years. It's not an instant, in the moment kind of thing, right? But I will say that you know that forgiveness happens when you think about something, maybe 5, 10, 15 years. It doesn't bring up the same bile, right? I mean, there could still be some, some stuff in there, but perhaps it's not as like just overwhelming and overtaking you when you think about the hurt as it used to when it was fresh. Then you know you've walked the path of forgiveness. And one of my favorite examples of this idea of you can forgive, right, but there's no requirement that you necessarily, without repentance, that you must be reconciled is First Samuel 24 with David, right? Saul had been trying to kill my homeboy David, right? And this guy keeps going after him. And this was the second of the three instances where David had the chance. He was right within his grasp. He could kill Saul right then and there, right? The second of the chances when they were in cave, and Saul went in, wanted to relieve himself, right? And so he was stooping. And, 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 you know, they held their noses. David and his men is like, here's your chance. And David's men were like, yo, we saw this vision. Like, you were supposed to kill Saul. And David's like, nah, you're lying. That's not the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do that, right? Because this is still the anointed man of God. And he came out and told Saul, hey, I had you in my grasp. I had you. You were mine. And Saul was like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Now, today, I know truly, David, you are God's anointed. You know what? Let's all go back to Jerusalem. And David's like, nah, dude, I ain't finna do that. (laughs) Deuces, I'm gonna go this way, or you will go that way. And you think, well, but David forgave him, right? David was happy. But the better part of wisdom actually means you don't have to go back. I don't know who that's for. But even because you forgive someone doesn't mean you go back to the place of that hurt. Hmm.
0: That's good. Uh, And that's the danger of inviting preachers onto the panel. (laughs) just, um, uh, we'll, we'll transition to our second question. I, ju- I just want to observe that um, that the two of you seem to be um, discussing um, really deeply um, grievous wrongs. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are also a lot of minor wrongs, especially that happen, like, in the context of marriage, you know, or, or friendship or roommates. Uh, it does say in the book of Proverbs that the wise man overlooks an the offense. offense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't go through a process, a deep process of repentance and reconciliation every time we overlook somebody's quirks or every time somebody... Uh, makes us upset. There's there's uh, there's different ways of dealing with that. I, I want to transition to um, to this second question about anger, and then and then I'll open it up for um, for a few questions from the congregation. Um, Jesus says that anger is spiritually dangerous, and he implies that anger is at the root of murder in Matthew five twenty one and twenty two. But isn't anger just a normal human emotion? This is a question that. Um, we've gotten many times uh, over the course of our time as a church, um, and especially after we talked about this, how can we become people who are less prone to
3: anger? I'll go ahead and share. Yeah, um, yeah James uh, tells us, everybody to, um, in James uh, 1, 20, to be slow to anger because it doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. Um, and so that I've always focused on that scripture. I mean, I've been delivered... I was delivered from a lot of issues in my life, and I'm just, I'm really grateful to be alive today because of that cycle of death, you know, when you're in sin, the wages of sin is death, and so I was destroying everything, but praise the Lord, his mercy, but um, anger is when, when I get angry, it seems like I make most of my mistakes, like many people can attest to, and so I recently have uh, found a a scripture that really spoke to me in, in Psalm 37, 8, it tells us, it says, cease from anger, this is the King James, forsake wrath, and says, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, which the fret means, you know, don't get burned with heat, and don't Mm. get hot, so where you are going to make a bad decision, and so I've focused on this scripture a lot, and also was led to Psalm 62, 5, so I really love the Word of God, because it's truth, you know, and Mm. it really... Ministers to me a lot. And 62 5 tells us, it says, Wait, it says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is in Him. And so, if we're expecting, I've decided that my expectations are going to be in God alone, because when we have disappointment and our expectations are not met, this is when I become angry, and this is when a lot of us become angry. James tells us that when we our desires are not met, we fight and quarrel, and so I'm learning to allow God to be my expectation. Mm. And this has been really powerful in my life because, you know, my children, my wife, they don't make me as angry anymore if I'm looking to Him. Mm. Mm. And so, um, I just think that's so so powerful. Just the word and that that those scriptures in general have been super helpful to me.
0: That's so good, Kevin. I just want to highlight something you said. Um, when I've become angry is when I've made most of my big mistakes. You said "Have like yeah. that. That's <laughs> profound. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Is it on? Oh, hi. Um, yeah. I think when Taylor asked me to be on the panel, I was like, oh man, I'm so unqualified because no, I've got no, a lot no, of yeah. anger and unforgiveness right now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think maybe not for a lot of the big things, like the grievous things. I think sometimes the Lord gives us mercy to, um, yeah, kind of maybe sometimes even forget about them or just really like we don't have to process them right at this moment. But I think right now a lot of maybe anger, or unforgiveness I experience um, is within friendship, you know, or just mm. in like a work school setting. And I think one of the ways that the Lord really even used this moment is this morning when I um, had a chance to have coffee with one of my friends and just to like process that mm. um, even this morning and just feeling like, the Lord really redeeming that. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of that anger that comes, um, I think it's really from ourselves a lot of times. I think when I'm angry at someone, it's either they don't meet my expectation, mm. um, or yeah, and really sometimes it's expectations of myself um, that I don't meet myself, and I don't see it being met in someone else. And in turn, all of that anger is sort of cyclical, and it turns upon myself. Mm. Um, and I think one of the grace that God has um, given me the past couple of weeks is um, sort of this, I think, creative way to do, to like um, go about this. And I've started to like journal in a way where I would confess in like red ink, like write in red ink, and then I would sort of confess that and just like s- stare in horror at like what the things that I'm angry about where I hold unforgiveness about, and really seeing that on paper mm. and then taking, like, this marker and just, like, wipe it out, you know. Um, and I think that in that it really it serves as a physical reminder to me that the Lord has covered my sins Amen. and in the mm. same way how much we we're called to cover, um, to forgive. Yeah. And, um, and I think as I was praying about this, one of the images that keeps coming to mind is when the Lord on the cross, he said, to the heavenly father, like forgive them for they know not wow. what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of times we don't understand our anger and mm. we don't understand why someone else has angered us, but the Lord really has, um, oh my gosh, Rachel, stop here. <laughs> 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 the Lord um, just really has mercy for us in those moments um, to call us to forgive ourselves and to forgive others because he first forgived us. Amen.
0: I just wanna, just wanna yeah. highlight something that Tina said, which is, um, When she was feeling anger, um, she uh, decided to communicate with the person. Um, And that's interesting, because you you mentioned anger being rooted in expectations oftentimes. And then um, also that you use the fact that you were going to be sharing this morning as a way of examining your heart and saying, if I'm going to say something about anger today, I need to make things right with so and so. And I, I just wonder if we're utilizing the special space of worship on Sunday, or the season of Lent, or before the family all gets together for the holidays, or whatever, to say, "I need to make something right," and not just let there be an elephant in the room the whole time. I need to communicate. I think that's really helpful. He said something about repentance. He said flashes I, I think, of brilliance. I think, said, I, think said, um, I think he said. I think he said. I think he said. There can be forgiveness without the. Then I think the point is there can be forgiveness without the other person repenting, just like Jesus died on the cross right. for us. But 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 in order for there to be reconciliation, there has to be repentance. Yeah. All right. I um, just want to open it up for a couple of questions from the floor. Yeah. So the Thirty-two seconds. Uh, I married when I was nineteen. I married my wife twice and got four
3: children six grandchildren.
0: Yeah. Um, it's for the it's live. It's, it's for, for the, the live lives. stream. Yeah. exactly what said. I just want to bear witness that I've said I forgive I've asked forgiveness many times but Mm. I haven't completed the process of reparations which is a tricky Mm. subject in our society Mm. and so you know I was young I was stupid Mm. I was a drug addict all of these things but you know even 45 years later I'm dealing with that but there is a tremendous forgiveness Mm. and, and restoration and I now I'm on speaking terms with all of my descendants and Praise my,
2: Amen. my first God. two wives, who are the same woman. Praise be to God. <laughs> Praise be to God. God.
0: Yeah. Does anybody want to re- reply to that briefly? Um, Can I say something? Well, well, um, I want to let the panelists respond. If you have a question, in oh, oh, just oh, a moment. No, um, no. Just in terms of the beauty of, you know, also.
1: that forgiveness is a process so is in terms of repentance Mm. and so you know you think about Luke 18 and Luke 19 where Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and you know he says I've followed everything Jesus and Jesus says well go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and he walked away sad Mm. and then you look at Luke 19 where Jesus is finds Zacchaeus seeks him out and Zacchaeus comes and runs to him and he had spent I mean, for at least from what the Greek, at least it somewhat indicates in the narrative, is that he was with them very, for a short time, and Zacchaeus says, I'm going to sell half of what I own, I'm going to give it to the poor, and then anybody who I've taken from, I'm giving back four times. Four times. And kind of that reparation of, it's going to take some time, right. you know, that... It follows kind of the same process of the denial. So you being so honest with repentance that bargaining, it was my fault. I am taking that load so that you don't have to take it. And then being grieved over your son. And then moving in that place to me of anger of like, wow, I've got to put some kind of boundary in place so that this does not go on repeat again.
0: Yeah. I I think Deacon Irma has something she's itching to say. So I'm going to let her say that in just a second. But I I just want to. I just, one of, the, one of the really cool things in your story, um, Donald, is um, um, if it's possible insofar as it concerns you, mm. you live at peace with one another. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes what makes it impossible is things we've done, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just appreciate that you've patiently waited to rebuild slowly mm-hmm. that trust with your family yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and that you're taking ownership for how what you've done in the past has contributed to that, but you're still wanting... Mm-hmm. to live at peace with them and to have a full relationship. What were you going to say, Irma? Well, most of you
5: know me and
0: you know... You got to put that up priests. to your mouth. Okay. <laughs>
5: most, most of you have heard me. But this is my second husband. And um, my first husband was in... It was a bad relationship and I needed to get out of it. But it took me many years to forgive him because the consequences of some of the abusive behavior had on our children was really profound. But you know what? God makes something good out of the bad of our lives. But he had me wait eight years for this guy after my divorce. It wasn't like, oh, I just met him the next day and life was wonderful, but it took a long time and a process and I still sometimes doing anniversaries or birthdays or things that happened I still sometimes say and then but now with the Holy Spirit that I'm a Christian it's easier yeah. because otherwise you know you're just stuck and I think most relation most things that happen in your life you either get better or you get better mm. and I God does not want us to be bitter people. He wants us to be better people. So I'm still learning, and um, I'm now happily married for 36 years, remarried, mm-hmm. and God used this bad thing in my life to bring something good. But like Don said, unfortunately, sometimes the children are affected. And that's that's something that, Mm. especially my oldest son. Mm. So, but all I can do is take it to the cross. Whatever mistakes I have made, the only way I can live is by taking it to the cross and saying, whatever I did, and I try to remember everything that I have done wrong, and the Holy Spirit helps you. But then just, Lord, you died for me, so please forgive me.
0: Thank you, Irma. Um, and uh, obviously we did broach the really serious question of divorce and remarriage. That's, that's one that's really in, important to get the church involved in. Um, the church that you're a part of usually has very specific doctrine uh, on that topic. And, uh, and also just want to commend John and Krista Bump um, uh, I know they wouldn't mind me um, mentioning them as people who got divorced and then remarried each other. Um, and they have a really uh, interesting story of redemption in that. Um, I think we, we might have time for just like one more question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Maybe two.
6: Ben. Uh, wow, so loud. Um, <laughs> I was just curious, um, so we, we talked about anger and kind of how we deal with that more in the scope it seemed like of like an everyday basis of like, um, just like anger in relationships. But um, I was curious, how would you guys recommend or how do you see people who have experienced injustice and like kind of, we see God experience like a righteous kind of anger Um, and, uh, kind of tying that into, like, when somebody doesn't repent of, like, a wrongdoing and things like that, um, how do we deal with that kind of more long-term anger that may have some, like, elements of righteousness to it Mm -hmm. due to, like, experiencing an injustice or, like, an injustice to, like, your people or your family or a loved one?
1: What a beautiful question. (laughs) Taylor, do you mind if I... um, So what tends to happen in Christendom is that we've taught, don't be angry, be quiet, silence it. And it's all it's going to do is provoke more of this place of powerlessness, which if you've had a lot of the times, anger is a response to injustice that's been done to you or to somebody that you love. And so there is this place in like Ephesians 4, Paul says, be angry and don't sin. (laughs) And so there is this sense of, like, you see Jesus, like, you know, he's taking the whip and he's forming the whip in the narrative of the gospel. You can see his action towards how dare you make my father's house somewhere that's safe for people who are stealing. That's an act of injustice. And then you see Jesus angry at the tomb of Lazarus. He's, like, snorting like an animal is what the original language would refer to. So there is this place of it's, I I think we've got to be aware that when there is a place of injustice, anger is so appropriate. Because the way I name it is that anger is the, it's the energy that holds the tiller to the soil that has gotta be broken up in order for the healing of the father to come and redo this, this acreage that's been devastated by many generations. And so there is this place of, you know, what tends to happen with Christians is we're like, we can't be angry. Ang- anger is bad. And so what they tend to do, I always name anger as like a volcano. And, and Christians usually put like this top on top and like pull it down real tight. And eventually the volcano is going to explode. And when the volcano explodes people's lives get destroyed. You know, you think about just the visual, there's land that gets destroyed, the crop, you know, air traffic control can't, you can't fly over it for weeks. I mean, it's, it's really devastating. So kind of what the helpful thing to do would be if we could start cutting out a side of the volcano. I know it sounds, just stay with my imagery, cut out a side of the volcano to let the lava flow because new territories need to be formed. And in that place, it's a great example. I encourage people write down your emotions and write out what it is that you were feeling. Especially if it's like an institutional harm that you can't, you really can't name it, Mm. or if it's with an abuser, Mm. you know, somebody that's been really horrific to you, and it's not safe for you to go. You've got to be able to tell your story and to communicate the injustice and to put words to the emotionality of it, so that there is a sense of releasing. Because what can tend to happen with with really large emotions with anger is your body is pumped with a lot of chemicals and they're so natural the lord has made it you know it's made it where your body feels this sense of like a push and you've got to do something about it and so if we silence it this a lot of people come and say i'm feeling really depressed i feel really you know anxious I'm feeling really disappointed. And when you get down to it, it's because they have never really quite a- named the, the source of the anger and put in mm-hmm. words to it. I do think there has to be kind of a righteous guardrails to it. I am not saying at all to rage. Uh, absolutely, I'm not saying that. But there has to be an expression so you can do things like writing it out go to Costco and buy a thing of lemons and go throw it at a tree in your backyard, (laughs) you know, take a waffle ball bat and, you know, and be able to hit something like a cardboard box that feels like in some ways you're thinking about this was wrong and something has to push against it, go on a sprint. I mean, there's a lot of things that you could do from a physical perspective, but if you don't give your body kind of the move to express it, it's going to come internal and start to really mess up some of your internal organs, and I really mean that. I mean, you know, with autoimmune disorders and all sorts of things that that go with that. So,
0: that's. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Fumi, Fumi's. Oh, uh, yeah. Please. Please. You share, and then Fumi's <laughs> requesting for one more question. So we'll 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 skip a few things. We'll we'll, we'll catch up. But why don't why don't you you share yeah. uh, Kevin, and then and then we'll have a last question from Ben back here.
3: Yeah, I think we all can relate to the injustice. You know, a lot of us have had injustices. Um, But I'll I'll tell you, something that really helped me, I read a couple books, um, and it was based on the 2006 uh, Nickel Mine school shooting. I don't know if you guys remember that, but Hmm. the guy Charles, um, what was his last name? Uh, Roberts, he went in and shot 10 girls in an Amish schoolhouse. Five of them were killed. But um, I read the book called Forgiven, and Amish grace, and they were super powerful about how the Amish community came and showed compassion and love to that family of the guy who did the murders. And even, you know, there were more Amish at his funeral than there were non-Amish. So just a really, really powerful statement of forgiveness and how we can respond in the face of injustice and pain. Um, We have to speak it. I totally agree this. You can't bottle that stuff up, but I I think there's a proper Proper way to handle it, but if you would just, the testimonies of others really helped me a lot. So I, I I really gained a lot from those two books.
0: That's great. Um, so we'll have one last question from from Ben over here, and uh, and uh, us preachers <coughs> will will especially let, let, let you guys handle this one. So like, um, kind of zooming out looking at the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, it seems that every clause is calling for self sacrifice in some ways. Mm when you think about kind of generic spirituality in the public sphere, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. self-help Oprah Winfrey kind (laughs) of stuff. A lot of it is talking about self-preservation or uh, maybe you'd call it like self-love or things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a place, I mean, here the continual injunction, particularly in the Beatitudes
2: seems to be towards Mm self-sacrifice. Is there a Christian Perspective on self preservation, or is that kind of a reference That's point good. that we should that is a good uh, question. ignore? You know, it's a really oh. good question.
4: Um, I think the one of the things that we kind of mentioned in the first question was you know, not going back into that harmful relationship without repentance, um, and I think it reminds me about like having boundaries because I think to an extent like God had boundaries um, Mm -hmm. and when those boundaries were crossed like God was angry and boundaries sort of define who God is and so when we have boundaries it also defines like lines where we protect ourselves um, and kind of like what um, Christine, Christine, thank you, Christine mentioned like there are c- even chemicals and ways that we react in our bodies that God makes us mm-hmm. to really protect us um, and to even let those out in a healthy way um, can really serve to protect us And, and I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: that's good. That's
1: good. The only thing I would think
4: is this reality of you can't
1: you can't die to self unless you know what you're dying to. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be this movement of you understanding yourself in order to know what you are sacrificing because i don't think this just jesus doesn't invite us into a world of obliteration where we become nothing and that's very gnostic in a way you know it's like a diminishment of the body for the sake of the soul and i i think the lord has made our bodies we have limits i stop here at the end of my fingers i am only right here in my own limitations and so there is this sense of like you know i it, it, it is both biblical and right for me to push against something that would invade, you know, in an evil way, the, the place of someone's body and mm-hmm. soul. Um, so it would be in the same space of uh, with regards to boundaries. That would be good. just some thoughts.
0: That's that's really good. Um, and this is just just getting started with the conversation. I mean, um, I really appreciate this. It. a great question. Um, and... Uh, I I think part of the reason why we can sacrifice in these ways is because we trust Jesus. Jesus. You know, we might not be able to trust other people. You know, we might not be able to trust ourselves, but we can trust that the way of Jesus is the way of life and health and hope and wholeness. Um, And so he's not just saying, do these things that are really hard. He's saying, this is what makes for wholeness. Forgiveness makes for wholeness, you know. Uh, asking the Lord, you know, and and working to cleanse the lust from our heart or working not to let the volcano completely explode. All this sort of stuff is what makes for wholeness. I um, I want to give Fumi the final word and let him close us in prayer, but would you please um, uh, grab your service sheet and turn to page 6 and 7? After Fumi closes us in prayer, we're going to continue in service with the confession of sin, which I think is Mm appropriate for all of us. I I um I do want to um, ask for a hand to get a a word of thanks for all of our panelists today, um, and um, and to some extent the purpose of this was not that that not that I thought we would even be able to answer like ten percent of the questions that are churning up in our hearts regarding the Sermon on the Mount, but almost that you get like a visual icon of the fact that you have brothers and sisters in the Lord who have wisdom around you and who can help you apply the scriptures. And maybe there's somebody who has forgiven someone of something that's very similar to a thing that you're having trouble forgiving, or maybe even something that's even more difficult, um, and that we need to learn to lean on one another, not, have, not believe that the sermon is going to carry the entire freight of our sanctification mm-hmm. But in your missional communities, in your friendships, in your relationships, when you're hanging out and talking after church, that we're leaning on one another. So, um, Fumi, you can have the final word and close us in prayer, and then we're going to have the confession of sin.
2: Um, I think especially those last two questions were quite powerful, and I agree 100% that that was Holy Spirit-inspired, the sense of boundaries, and that God really himself has boundaries. There was a... You know, and you know the Israelites were habitual line steppers, right? <laughs> they just kept stepping, in. and at some point, God was like, "You know what? I will leave you to reprobate minds." You, you know. So yes, definitely, there, there's boundaries. There's a sense in which God is jealous over His holiness and His righteousness, and if you keep, you know, overstepping the bounds, not now you're besmirching God's holy name, and He's no, you can't, you can't do that. So even though you're you're, you're His child. You're his son, you're his daughter. He's going to have to be like, nah, there's a line, all right? And you can't keep habitually line seven. But thanks be to God for the cross, right, <laughs> that keeps us from, from uh, total and absolute destruction and calls us back into relationship with God. So boundaries is a, is, is a great word. And I, I would only just add on the discussion of anger and forgiveness um, to remind us that they are not dichotomous right, that these things are inherited even in the Godhead. God gets angry, and it is good when we get angry in the same things God gets angry about, especially like injustice, right? One of my favorite, when we talk about societal injustice and things of that nature, you know, one of my favorite, and it's in the word, is the imprecatory Psalms, right, where there's a sense of deep injustice that's happening, both personal as well as societal, And the psalmist will pray for God's justice to be visited upon evildoers, right? But that is not, um, uh, again, also mutually exclusive from forgiveness. Because if you look uh, at the Sermon on the Mount when it talks about anger, it talks about the destructive effect of human anger, right, when it is acted upon in a manner that destroys someone else, right? So that's why it is analogous to murder, right? That's why it's analogous to someone calling someone a fool, right? And that's why the exhortation is that you need to go and fix that even before you come to offer your offering at worship. Like, that will keep you from God accepting your worship because of the destructive manner in which you, you have against a fellow image bearer of God. Instead, what we're called to do is take that that injustice, that evil that's been done against us, to God in prayer. Perhaps pray the imprecatory psalms and leave it to God. And you know, if I can just use the example of the black experience in America, you know, there's a sense in which you know black folk are often called to forgive. And you saw that with um, Mother Emmanuel Church and the massacre that happened there. Mm-hmm. And you saw these wonderful you know believers standing up for, to forgive. And there were two responses. There was one response that said. Oh man, you know, this cheap forgiveness, we're always asking black folk to always forgive. And then the other side, oh, how beautiful that they forgive. Well, I think the answer is something in the middle. Yeah, it is powerful. It is a testament to the power of the gospel that they're able to forgive, right? But then we also can look at that forgiveness and weaponize it against the people and say, oh, you must forgive. As we've talked earlier, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is something that is Holy Spirit empowered. And forgiveness is also personal, right? You can not make me forgive, right? I've got some to deal with, with God and his power working in me and through me to forgive. But you can't demand it, especially if you're the wrongdoer. You can't be the one that demands that I forgive. And that dude, you know, I still pray imprecatory prayers against that guy. I still do. But then a side of my heart is also, but if this man remembers the gospel he heard in that church, that Bible study that day, and changes and convicts his heart, I will embrace him as a brother. I will, because that is the power of the gospel. That's the redemptive, and so it can't be dichotomous. It's got to go together. So I'm angry at the injustice and the evil that's been visited against the innocent image bearers of God, and I take that to God. God, do something about this, but at the end of the day, I can't let my anger at that evil cause to dis- a destructive response against another image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, you know, even during the marches when the uh, stuff was were burning and whatnot, and some folks were saying, well, it's the language of the unheard. I was like, no, man, that's an easy out. We're not gonna destroy our neighborhoods. We're not gonna destroy our stuff. That's destructive. That's a bad expression of anger. A good expression is saying, yeah, let us march. Let us lobby our our, our legislators. Let us call out the evil, right? Let us demand justice from the temporal authorities of this world, and also let us call for eternal justice from God on high. Yes, those are right expressions. Of anger, and also let us forgive others, because there go I, but by the grace of God. There is something about even in our day and age where we think like, well, some the people who are in justice are more righteous, the, the those who are oppressed than the oppressor. You know there, there's a varying level of unrighteousness, but the heart of man is deceitful mm. and desperately wicked. Because if the roles were turned, and we see it, we see it, let's be honest with ourselves, in the cancel culture, if the roles were turned, injustice will be visited against the other side too. And that's why God talks about how we respond to our anger. We've got to take it to God. Yes, be angry, but do not sin, right? That's what James is talking about. Be angry, but do not sin, and it is not mutually exclusive from forgiveness because God himself is angry at our sin and yet he forgives our sin blessed be the name of the lord let us pray almighty god we thank you for your goodness and for your goodness towards us we thank you for the calling you've placed upon our lives to be perfect even as our heavenly father is perfect you've said that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the pharisees and we, we confess, Lord, that we are unable even to see our way to the next day because, Lord, there have been so many who have harm, harmed us and hurt us, Lord God. There, there, there is righteous anger, perhaps even unrighteous indignation, Lord. Lord, we, 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 we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our hearts. We want to protect our loved ones. Lord, and there's so many temptations that are going on in our world. It's the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Oh, God, all of these things are arrayed against us, and yet you're still calling us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And so we know that we don't know our way out. We don't know what step to take, but we depend on you, Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who can speak into our, I go you this way. And let us walk therein, Father. Mm-hmm. We ask that you will lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, O God. We ask, O Lord, that you will lift up our eyes to behold the beauty of Jesus Christ, that he is better still, and that we will lay down our lives for the higher calling that God has upon us. Lord, help us, help us to walk circumspectly to walk uh, uh, differently, set apart in this world, to walk as a royal priesthood, oh God, a holy nation, a chosen generation, set apart in this world, in this generation for you, Father. And let us in so doing be light and be salt, that indeed our difference will bring glory to your name. And Lord, let us live into what true human flourishing, true, true... uh, uh, um, a total wholeness looks like, and that is indeed being like you. Help us, Father. We know that it's not a today thing or a tomorrow thing. It's a process. And, Lord, take us through that process. Help us to submit our lives to that process. Help us to commit our lives to that process. And when all is said and done, our boast will not be in ourselves, but our boast will be in Christ alone, his death and resurrection. Blessed be your holy name, Father.